welcome to episode 380 of Retro Encounter, comrades. Uh, RPG fans, uh, mostly weekly, currently bi-weekly podcast about many topics, usually of the retro variety. Um, and we are here today to talk about a game that is not particularly retro, but it is driven by lots of retro ideas, uh, even like into tabletop ideas, and that is Disco Elysium. Um, that very strange, I mean very strange, uh, 2019 RPG uh, with uh, no combat, uh, but you can definitely take damage, and I have a lot. Um, so before we uh, start talking about this uh, very odd game, uh, I want to go ahead and introduce our panel, starting with you, Hillary. All right. Hello. Um, I'm eager to find out how many of us are comrades at this point in the game. <laughs> um, and... I know we said we were going to say our favorite stats from the game. So there are some really interesting stats that you can play with and determine many different actions at Disco Elysium. And my two favorites, I'm going to go with Volition because I like having high morale. I like yeah. Volition taking care of me. My um, morale gets damaged a lot, so it's good for me to have a high Volition. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and conceptualization is my other because conceptualization conceptualization is kind of like the tastes artsy stat and i love their commentary mm -hmm. a lot yeah i just learned that uh skill uh where i'm like an art historian or art lover art cop. or something yeah that's the yeah, art cop you art police cop. people's taste <laughs> and uh ben yeah so um uh, my favorite two stats would be uh inland empire Great one. Um, because you get some really <laughs> interesting and mind-bending uh, internal monologues out of that. And then empathy. Um, my uh, my area is very much a sorry cop. So I probably <laughs> apologized about, I don't know, 50 times in my playthrough so far. I think I, I, think I just got that achievement about three hours ago. So yeah. Uh, it's I feel like empathy is maybe like the most useful stat, at least yep. for me so far, too. One of them, um, for sure. And I had zero empathy to start because I was like an intellect, Harry. And oh. uh, then I, I'm like, okay, I need to build my empathy. So that's where I've been pu like pulling all my points. Um, anyway, um, Alex. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, really love this game and looking forward to talking about it. Um, my two favorite stats, I mean, probably one of them would be Inland Empire um, for the same reasons Ben mentioned. Just like really interesting uh, that that stat is just like, getting too deep into your head and uh, leading to some interesting uh, thought processes. Uh, really fan of that one. Um, but I will go with Shivers for one. Oh, um, yeah. Just because uh, I, I just like love whenever it ends up like just randomly appearing as I'm exploring the world. It ends up having this like just really like poetic almost language in terms yeah. of like describing <clears throat> the physical environment around you. Um, it seems to like almost tune into like your your memories as well as destroyed as they are in this game. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it even gives you like kind of like premonitions of what mm -hmm. you might end up doing in the future. Yep. It's just like this fascinating way of like kind of feeling and understanding the world physically. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I just like love the way it's written in general. And um, the other one I'll just give a shout out to is electrochemistry because uh, <laughs> I'm going full into the booze and drugs this run, and uh, I'm I'm cranking that stat up. Oh, uh, so uh, yeah, electrochemistry is my answer anyway, because um, I don't know who my Harry is except for like Chaos Cop. 
um, where he just tries to annoy everyone around him. The very first achievement I got in this game was like, you hit an all time low with Kim. And I'm like, it happened like two hours in. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's really um, so that's like, impressive. That's the kind of that's the kind of cop I'm playing. And um, I'm either on drugs or drunk or both at every moment that I am awake in this game um, because I think it's funny. Um, like basically my whole goal of this game is to amuse myself so far um, and it's working. Um, and electrochemistry is the one that I feel like always gives me like the response. It's always just like someone will say something about drugs and he's like, oh, maybe they have speed. <laughs> maybe they know where speed is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sharing bottles of speed with uh, eight-year-olds. Um, oh, so, you no. know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a great role model. Um, let me say that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So to kind of back up a little bit uh, before we kind of dig in, um, uh, Disco Elysium, um, it is a, an isometric-ish PC game that is, you know, sort of inspired by lots of different things. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, certainly. Um, you know, other isometric RPGs. And it is uh, really strange in the way that it's presented in a lot of ways. So it is... Um, it takes place in this fictional world that I think is very much inspired by 1980s Poland, um, where you are, uh, you wake up and you're a police officer in an area called Ravishel. Did I say that correctly? Ravishel. Ravishel, yeah. Ravishel, yeah. You guys, everybody's going to have to correct me on my pronunciation literally every single time I talk today. So I appreciate that. Um, and uh, you're there to, uh, it turns out, investigate a murder. Um, and, you know, sort of before we get into the story stuff, um, in, in terms of like the way the game works, uh, you, you're never in combat. You are constantly having conversations with people and your ability to do certain things like uh, physically or even, um, you know, uh, have take certain dialogue trees down certain you know, routes is driven by stats. Um, and so those stats we were talking about earlier, you have six different, you have like sort of, so, sort of four subcategories like psyche um, and physique. And then you have different categories within them. Like electrochemistry basically is like, how in tune are you with, I don't know, drugs and alcohol. And it's basically the sex, drugs and rock and roll one. That's why I like it. Um, and so, um, and, and, and an entire game is sort of driven by that. Um, and you know, there are a million other things I could talk about and they'll come up, but I wanted to make sure everybody had sort of a good baseline. Um, so let's talk about the opening, which I think is very striking of Disco Elysium. Mm -hmm. um, when I first turned it on, I played for the first 20 minutes and I was like, oh my goodness, uh, the quality of the writing is just like remarkable. The quality of the voice acting. I'm assuming we're all mm -hmm. playing the Final Cut version. Mm -hmm. yep. You can't imagine this game without the voice acting. It's so that was good. so good. Um, Especially so, yeah. the narrator. Yeah, yeah I love the narrator. I agree with you. He's apparently like a jazz musician or something. I was just reading about that earlier. So um, good. Very cool. Um, but yeah, so what are your uh, sort of opening impressions of the opening uh, hour, hour and a half of this game? Things you liked, things that struck you? Yeah, uh, one thing I think is interesting about the opening is that you can die very quickly. And I think oh, yeah. that people going into this game, they know, oh, there's no combat. So I think a lot of people, I know I did this, is like make a Harry that has like no physical stats. <laughs> and then you go to like turn the light on in your <laughs> hotel room and you just immediately die. You have a heart attack. <laughs> so I know that happened to me on my first playthrough um, because you wake up as a, uh, a cop who is having a horrible hangover and you drunk yourself into a state of amnesia and you don't remember who you are or what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and it's, it's a crazy opening. I mean, there's, I can't think of any game that really opens like that, um, with that much, uh, you know, kind of 
that you can kind of get into anything and anything can kind of happen to you at that point. So. Yeah, I love, I mean, as, as someone who's taken her share of neurobio and things like that, I love how it goes through the layers of the brain as you're waking mm-hmm. up. That's really cool. And it is, it establishes really well this concept throughout the game that your character is going to have different facets of his brain kind of talking to each other like throughout the entire game and it's all really well written which is lovely yeah and like uh just from the opening like you're i think you're chatting with your limbic system i think it's your your, i think it's your reptilian Reptilian brain, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And then your limbic system kicks in. I love in. the voice actor for reptilian brain, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, right from that that opening, you're kind of getting a, yeah. a sense that this game is um, it's trying to like almost simulate the way that our minds work and that mm-hmm. our minds and our bodies work together. And like that's that's totally replicated in uh, like the, the skill set breakdown that the game offers you. Yeah, like, it's it's bas- remarkable. Yeah, it's like basically like there's the two kind of mental categories of stats. So that's intellect and psyche. And that all contains like the different skills like logic, rhetoric, uh, empathy, volition that kind of relate to your mental well-being. And then you have the physique and um, rhetorics yes. uh, categories, which are how you relate to your the physical reality around you. So it's basically uh, your endurance, your... Uh, electrochemistry, shivers, um, perception, uh, hand-eye coordination. So, yep. and perception uh, always useful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting the way that this this game broke down the way we as humans work just through this the skill system. It's one of the most mm-hmm. fascinating parts mm-hmm. of the game. It's it's like you can look at these stats and and like start thinking about like oh. I wonder, like, what, what numerical scores would I assign myself with these numbers? And uh, uh, it's it's an interesting little reflective thought exercise that, um, I mean, just goes to show how how much thought went into uh, generating this skill system in general. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and you know, I I, I think even like um, when you are, you first wake up in that hotel room and you don't have any idea where you are and you don't ha- you don't know sort of like you can pick like one of three sort of um, selections of stats uh, where you can be like a thinker or where you're like really good at being intelligent, but you're not as good at that. And, you know, as I'm picking that, I'm like, I don't really know uh, what stats are going to be most important. Uh, but one of the things that I think is fascinating about this game and you talking about that is that we talked a little bit about those dice rolls, but like the fact that failure uh, of failing the dice rolls, because like basically the idea is like, you'll get like dialogue options or whatever, and you'll get like a percentage that you will pass a certain check. Um, so, you know, one of the first things you do is you look in the mirror, probably at least if you're like me, um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, you see, you see like this weird face and you're like, Oh, you're going to do with it. And you have like these checks where you can, or these dialogue options where you can choose to like, try to make your face look different or whatever. Wipe the smarmy disco expression off your face. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that failure is so baked into the way that the game is created. Like a (laughs) a failure is actually oftentimes significantly more entertaining mm-hmm. than anything else like or it can uh, lead to unexpected results yeah yeah like uh i didn't i got lucky on this but like i was shooting a body down um because i'm a cop i guess that's the kind of cop i am <laughs> um and uh my partner had tried to do the same thing and apparently if you fail that you shoot a hole through the body <laughs> that's what i did this <laughs> like, time that's really fascinating um and so like the 
the way that like you're not ever really trying to win necessarily you're just trying to kind of explore and as you fail things mm-hmm. um it creates sort of different avenues you have to go down yeah. and um, i hope you don't mind me jumping oh, in for just a second but Along with that, I just before I forget one, I say, and that's kind of built into the stats too. Like as you're, you can kind of customize um, as well. And in every stat description, it it basically tells you that there are consequences for having it too low, but also consequences for having it too high. Like encyclopedia interrupting you with useless information. Yeah, I have a really high encyclopedia stat, and it's incredibly annoying. <laughs> I think it, I love the encyclopedia. I think it's super useful because <laughs> you you learn like all this lore that you wouldn't learn if you didn't have the. the That's stat true. High. It but is I great don't for learn a first it. playthrough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean that's one of the things uh, sort of about this world. It's like the amnesia is sort of meant to reflect who we are as you know this person who's entering into this space, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you uh, you get placed in R- Ravishal. And there's a murder there that, um, you know, we think probably had something to do with a union that is uh, striking in town against a against Wild Pines, I think is the name of the company. Correct. Um, the logistics and, company. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you, I, I think it's interesting. You start as an amnesic and, and that's useful for you as the player coming yeah. into this world in a new way. But um, Harry is very much his own character. So. He, he's a little bit of a blank slate, but he also, you know, has this whole past that you kind of uncover and elements mm-hmm. about him. And so it does a really interesting, um, you know, juxtaposition of, of him as the blank slate and you coming in new and also like him as a character, as a fully mm-hmm. defined character in that world. And then his pre-existing relationships and how they relate back to. Absolutely. You know, and I, I love what like a, a gradual learning process it is to like discover who he is because like i mean the yeah the, the amnesiac protagonist is like i feel such a trope in in video games but like here it's just like one it's like hilarious that like he lost his memory just from like a <laughs> massive drug and alcohol induced bender uh-huh. but also it just becomes this like great opportunity to allow the player to kind of yeah role play the kind of character they want to be but at the same time the game's trying to tell the specific story um, and develop a character, a protagonist mm-hmm. at the same time. So it's like, yeah, you get to come in with building your character. You get to come in with like kind of the blank state slate that the amnesia allows you. But then as you're playing the game, you start slowly discovering a different aspect of Harry's past that you can then then interact with who you he's been becoming through your interactions as the mm-hmm. player, and which leads you to kind of. Uh, reflect a bit on like oh how how does this new bit of information and character development i'm getting how does that uh does that does that change the kind of character i want to play like it ends up being just an extra layer to like kind of the the really unique and open role-playing experience that this game provides it is yeah. it's, a, it's a fascinating narrative layer because on the on the one hand you know it is kind of like blank slate new beginning but then you learn all these pieces about his existing you know personality and relationships and all that stuff and it's almost like you're kind of controlling his new beginning and you can choose how to respond or react to that information you know you can have him choose to do things differently or choose to make some of the same mistakes or you know you kind of control where he goes from here and that's really a fun position to be in as the player yeah, and the mechanics really allow for that too, because even though you make some of those decisions at the beginning of the game regarding, you know, your stats and attributes and everything, 
you gain experience through pretty much everything that you do and every conversation you have, and you'll get so many skill points that your Harry can become, end up being very different towards the end of the game than the one that you started with. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of room for you to change and evolve Harry um, based on your interactions with people and your experiences with other people. And you're kind of simulating like that character growth that you would get in a typical story through the mechanics of the game, as well as the information you're learning and the interactions you have with other characters. It's very Yeah, I mean, like, that, that's this great way to put it. And, uh, like, that, that's kind of what happened in my first playthrough. Obviously, this one I'm still in the middle of. But uh, I started as a pretty um, broken, kind of uh, sorry cop Harry in my first playthrough, and uh, still, like, doing same drugs making like a lot of the same mistakes um but then i i started like sobering up during the playthrough as i was discovering new bits of information and that's kind of just how my my role-playing journey took me and i ended up becoming like a like an like a super competent uh caught by the end of it and it was such a rewarding character arc uh to go through as a player and, and then just to see like replicated on the screen as well but uh yeah, this time around, I'm just I'm going superstar cop, and I'm just I'm just like leaning into the the madness of it all. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's uh, interesting too because I know that there are some different endings to this game, um, but the idea that you can sort of stumble your way through it, and you could also competent your way through it, I think is a really interesting way of allowing you to do that. And like for me, like my whole response is like. I want to annoy everyone around me, um, including like my partner who's watching me play um, and just say like the craziest <laughs> things every single time I, I interact with people. But, you know, it allows you can sort of see how people wouldn't know how to respond to someone who is this insane. Um, and so still kind of getting to some of that. Um, and yeah, like, I think that you're right. Cause like, as I was playing and I, this is where I was going earlier. Like I have that encyclopedia stack cause I chose thinker. Um, but man, like there is so much information about this world and in this world. Like I cannot retain even 20% of it. <clears throat> like in terms, like I know we're in an archipelago. I know that this was, um, sort of like a war torn area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hasn't recovered from that. Um, and you have like all these competing interests, including like, uh, people from different nations and there's like this enormous about racism and you know communism sort of fell but you sort of have like this undercurrent of communism in the game um, and so like it presents so much information that I find that very overwhelming but when I started like being able to put st- like uh, points into stats I was like I was more interested in the things that are going to happen with empathy or with electrochemistry or with um, shiver um, as someone was talking about earlier and so it allows you to sort of um kind of find your way through it um, in a really interesting way, I think. Um, but it doesn't happen to happen ha- have to happen in any order because like the first thing you're supposed to do is investigate the body and come like 1 a.m. on my first day, I hadn't investigated the body yet. I had roundhouse kicked a racist on a bridge. <laughs> I had been uh, bribed by a union boss, um, talked to a negotiator, refused to talk to the scabs, um, but I had not investigated the body yet. Um, and it just gives you so much freedom in the in the order and the ways in which you experience the world that I think mm-hmm. is fascinating too. Yeah. And, and to kind of like build off that, like it's not like complete freedom in a way because you do get, um, you do end up getting like kind of pigeonholed based on what your, your stat strengths are. So um, like, for example, if you have a, 
good like kind of physical skill set, then you might be able to um, take care of the, the racist measure head that you mentioned and give him a good old roundhouse kick to get uh, to progress where you need to in the game. But I just got lucky. I had seventeen percent to yeah, or you just get it. lucky. I, I once I once got. Um, a three percent roll success. That was one of the most hype video game experiences of my life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just just uh, continuing on. Um, but like, say you, you you don't have high enough like physical stats to to do that, but you might have high like motorics, which allows you to kind of um, circumvent uh, the whole like main entrance to the harbor yep. and uh, jump off a roof to to get to where you need to be. So you end up getting these uh, specific interactions that either um, you get by through the sheer luck of the roll or you that you're more um, likely to successfully interact with duty or stats. And that kind of like applies also to like the way that the game um, works as role playing because um, as much as you might be trying to like role play a specific character, that is also going to be influenced by which stats um, you have a high number in, because those then those like internal voices that you have, like be it empathy, be it shivers or whatever, um, they will like just insert themselves in the middle of conversations with like real NPCs, and that ends up uh, becoming this whole interaction between an internal dialogue in Harry's head. And the external dialogue he's having with different characters, and as they're inserting themselves, they're trying to like influence you like all the time. And a good example for this one is is Half Light. So I have pretty high like phys- physique this time around, and I get like Half Light coming in, and Half Light is just a a vicious, um, animalistic, violent uh, stat that just inserts itself and wants to make suggestions that lead you to react like violently to the world around you, and um, yeah, it, because you have that higher of a stat, it, it ends up creating that kind of more of a role-playing affordance for yourself that you can you can take or leave, but that you you're probably going to be more influenced to take because that voice is just constantly inserting itself yeah. as you're trying to interact with the world. And, and I think that what makes it interesting is that's sort of like the way we experience the world in general, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all have like versions of ourselves we want to be. Um, and who we want to be to other people. <laughs> um, and we have versions of ourselves who we are based on, you know, all kinds of things um, and sort of navigating like your natural impulses with the impulses that you wish you had, um, I think is an interesting sort of part of being human. And I think this game uh, replicates that notion really in a really interesting way. And also like me talking about things that I don't really understand sometimes just to, just to sort of fit in which Harry definitely does a lot. <laughs> um, I think is a, uh, is really cool way of uh, you, you describing it sort of maybe think of that. So that's really cool. I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, on that first day, your choices with Harry, a lot of them are either admit that you have no idea what's going on or pretend like you do. <laughs> or to just like apologize all the time and be like genuinely inquisitive. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of, um, I mean, uh, another thing we can kind of get into is just Kim as like your your main companion in yeah. general. Cause I We've think... gone through 25 minutes of this podcast. And we haven't talked about Kim yet. I know. It's a failure on my part of those. <laughs> yeah, so Kim is just, uh, like, he also ends up being this really important part to how role-playing in the game works because he's just the most straight-edge, uh, no-nonsense cop you can ask for. And he's, he's a very good cop, and he's, like, a very moralistic person. Um, But you can be, like, trying to play, like, a complete degenerate, deranged cop like I am this time, and uh, Kim is going to 
be there to one like just watch you and and enjoy the antics on one hand or, or be concerned but also to to make sure you stay kind of on track with the main narrative so yep. it kind of becomes this really essential device to like even making this game work as a story rather than just like an insanity simulator um because like he's always there to like uh, like at the end of the first day you have to do like a debrief with him and th that ends up being like this really important way of like taking stock of of what needs to be done and mm -hmm. um uh what what you did manage to do so far yeah um and so yeah just having kim there it, it really makes the story work and, and he's just a great character in general yes. which we can talk about yeah he really enforces i think one of the themes of the game which is like human connection and i think it's so common for games to have you be like this singular hero or, or person who can do every does all these amazing things on their own and uh you know disco elysium is very much about the the humbleness and mediocrity of people and um but how there's there's beauty in that and how we need each other to get anything done and it you to have kim there all the time like having your back and him also having his own deficiencies that your harry can sometimes you know help with or figure something out for him that he otherwise wouldn't be able to do due to his own personality yeah that he would have missed mm -hmm is such a I think it's just so powerful because you have that constant interaction and relationship you develop with them and you see that echoed throughout the rest of the game um but that is just so important he he never he always feels like a person he never feels like a tutorial or like a um you know the, a mechanic the kind of, of the game to keep you on track yes yes he's he's so integral to, to that experience and I think it's so telling that everybody um, comes away loving him <laughs> so much. So, and well, he is one of the main things about day one of the game because you know you stumble around the hostel where you're staying, have a bunch of conversations with people who are either concerned because you don't remember who you are or mad at you because of things you've done, and he's kind of like this nice grounding presence. It's like okay, let's address things one by one. Let's go around. Let's make some progress on the investigation. Yeah, he has almost, like, infinite patience. <laughs> oh, he definitely does in my playthrough. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's definitely, like, not approving of me, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you guys all capture Kim really well. I think uh, th this game wouldn't work without that grounding force <laughs> no. uh, because Harry wouldn't get anything done. At least my Harry wouldn't. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think that... Um, even the ways in which he will uh, sort of gently nudge you during conversations, he's like, hey... Maybe we don't need to hear about cryptids again. Uh, I'm yes, like, we do. Hey, yes, we do. I, 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 this is the kind of nonsense. Like reading the cryptid descriptions is like reading every other piece of lore in this game to me, which is like that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that he's uh, such a critical part, and I tried to leave uh, the uh, hostel without him, and he's like, "What are you doing?" Um, <laughs> you tried yeah. to leave without him. Yeah, I did, because uh, that would be funny. Uh, but there <laughs> are like, things uh, you can only do without Kim around. Yeah, that's so, true. That's what I've heard. I don't know mm -hmm. how to get Kim to go away yet. Uh, uh, you just It's just at a certain time at night, so he'll go to bed like after oh. 2,100 hours, and yep. then you can leave your room at that point, and that's how you can get around without him if you need. 
to do something where you don't want his disapproving gaze lingering <laughs> over you. All the drugs you want. <laughs> I mean, I just do them in front of him, and he's like, oh, "Okay." Actually, <laughs> one of my favorite experiences with Kim during this playthrough has been—I uh, forgot the name of the drug, but it's the one you get from the the pawn shop guy. And oh I just, yeah, like, like the nuclear sickness one, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, the radiation yeah. sickness yeah, treatment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I I got it from the shop. I stepped outside and slurped it up immediately, and then um, is like a mix of electrochemistry and empathy work together to be like, you should tell Kim, you should share this like exciting experience with him, and I did, and he's just like, I'm very happy for you. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and then like all my other kind of stats, just like ended up firing like one after the other just being like yeah this is like the excitement of drugs he's happy for you look at how fun this is <laughs> it was uh, it was a great one. Oh dear yeah uh... yeah actually bringing up the um the pawn shop guy that makes me think of just like the the one interesting thing about this game is that the all of the side characters like have so much depth to them yep mm-hmm. so like the pawn shop guy just for, as an example he, um, you know, he's just a guy who runs a pawn shop and you can buy items from him that you might need for the game or whatever. But if you talk to him, you can find out that um, in the past that after uh, Rev Shoal was uh, abandoned by um, government forces in the aftermath of the war, that people kind of banded together uh, in the slum to try to create um, a nuclear reactor to generate a clean energy source for everybody um, because they didn't have any utilities um, for everybody to live on. And because they lacked the knowledge and the institutional supports, the reactor failed and created like a massive nuclear disaster in the middle of the city. And so he was part of the cleanup crew and the rescue crew uh, for uh, that disaster. And so the reason why he takes the drug is because of his experiences um, yeah, his exposure know. to radiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his radiation exposure, both that and the trauma of yep. the result of that and the damage that he saw to people and everything. Um, and I mean, it's like a really intense, you know, backstory and, and haunting and, and beautiful backstory for a character to have. And he's just like a random shopkeeper. Like, you don't really He's a shopkeeper, yeah. With him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, one of the things early on with the game, for me at least, was like, I, and I think this is on purpose, besides Kim, like, I was like, who am I supposed to like in this world? <laughs> um, I, I couldn't really get a feel for it. Um, and I guess, you know, they're trying to sort of play with that, like, the union boss, um, very unlikable, but also the person on the other side is also very unlikable, <clears throat> um, because she just spouts nonsense constantly and I have conversations with her about reality where she's what's her name again Joyce, Joyce. oh Joyce. Joyce yeah um yeah and, and I think that was the first moment where I was like all right I can sort of see like where they're gonna go I think that that, that backstory is really beautiful um to getting to that idea about community that you were talking about earlier Ben um and I think uh Kuno who when you first meet him uh, is a child who's throwing rocks at the body and we're there to investigate. And, and inter- I'm sorry. And he interrupts your field autopsy because Kim says his rocks were thrown at low velocity. And he's like, no maximum velocity. <laughs> yeah. And you can put to in get- your notes that it's like high velocity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is the type of kid we're dealing with. Yeah. And it's maybe the filthiest mouth of a character I've ever met in a video game or maybe anywhere. Um, and is so fueled by rage. Um, but then, you know, if you get to know Kuno better, you realize uh, just how much of a disaster his home life is with mm-hmm. his father in particular. 
Um, and the way he tells it is not like in a way that like it's trying to generate sympathy. He's just talking about how he's not going to care about anything because his dad never cares about anything mm-hmm. and everything sucks. So we're, I'm going to go underground and I'm going to be awesome. Uh, and maybe it's like the teacher in me, but like I just see it as like this super tragic way of of showing how the this world is failing so many of the people who live there mm-hmm. um, and it's failing mm-hmm. this child in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, I, it, when you get to those checks um, where you're able to kind of get, get past the barrier of these characters and like and see the depth, um, I think it is um, I don't really want to say that story is beautiful, but like I think it gets to the power of the writing in this game. Yeah, well, yeah. well the, the characters just feel like fully featured people. They they don't just serve like a, a gameplay or singular narrative purpose. They all tend to have like a some kind of history or past that um, influences their current personality and behavior in a way that's understandable and very similar to um, people that you might have encountered in real life. And um, it just lends all of the characters this really feeling of believability and, and realisticness, even when their antics or what's going on might be kind of fantastical or absurd. Yeah, and like depending on uh, what your stat strengths are, like you might not be able to discover the, the full backstory mm-hmm. of certain characters on like mm-hmm. a single playthrough, as I'm kind of realizing on, on the second playthrough. Um, which is also interesting, because I mean, I think so much of what makes this game interesting is uh the potential for replayability and um seeing how like having different stat strengths will influence the ways that conversations go differently in terms of like the internal dialogues harry is having in his head in terms of like the different checks you're more likely to pass which unlock more elements of dialogue and and so a lot of um yeah a lot of the game is kind of like hidden behind multiple playthroughs mm-hmm. which uh mm-hmm. It's great for for a role playing perspective because I mean I feel like nowadays especially a lot of um, RPGs like Western RPGs that offer these kinds of more um, choice based uh, conversation trees um, will kind of have it that you can end up doing anything everything with any character that you build uh, that like you're able to like have the same interactions with people and and with the world around you but the the fact that this game makes it um, a lot more specific to the particular character you're playing. It, it just like adds a lot more meaning to the experience of role playing, which which is I think why a lot of people yeah point out that like this game's drawing so much on like tabletop RPG kind of mechanics that allow for that more open ended character building and more improv- improvisational kind of uh, interactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of room for true role playing in this game, which is just something that you don't really see. I feel like a lot in the genre um, in the way that um, you can really embody like a a particular personality or type of person um, that you can in in this game. Right. And you're, you sit with the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The game is not afraid to change drastically or lock you out of things Uh -uh. or (laughs) make things massively different based on your choices and that's really powerful i think yeah this is a little ahead of where we're talking because we're kind of talking to the end of day two but i broke my pry bar on like the beginning of the third day trying to break into a church i'm like really how am i gonna get my pry bar back yeah yeah if you because if you go there before um you talk to the musicians who want to use it um you can use your pry bar to get try to get in it doesn't actually get you in (laughs) but it will break even after you pass the check um 
So at least it did on my playthrough. So I was like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? Um, but yeah, I like that it makes you sit with the consequences, but the consequences are never like you're never, you're not going to be able to do this thing. Although I did learn to save with some regularity mm-hmm. because I know when yes. I, I, I died like probably four times in the first hour and a half <laughs> of this game. Um, and the last time I died and then I had to do a bunch of dialogue again Oof. was when I was going to talk to the union boss and he made oh. me sit in that chair. Oh, and the, the chair killed you, yeah. <laughs> and it was so uncomfortable chair. that I actually died. <laughs> when uh, apparently uh, he's so comfortable that like he never gets out of the his yeah. office. Yeah, it's literally a cargo thing that they move him in if he mm-hmm. ever needs to go somewhere else, yeah. which is um, certainly a perspective on union bosses. It doesn't mm. seem very positive. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the the game is very interesting in that way, because I think uh, one thing we haven't really talked about, but that is a big integral part of the game is the political um, Mm -hmm. background that you can choose for your character. And uh, that kind of comes through dialogue options that you choose when you're interacting with people, there will be different dialogue options that correspond to a particular political ideology. Um, And, you know, I've seen a lot of, of commentary online and stuff about this game and a lot of people from a lot of different political backgrounds all find something of themselves or to like in this game and i personally think that the developers of the game and the game itself has a very particular political bent to it um and we can get in that if we want to but it does allow you that that um freedom to be um a centrist or a, a neoliberal or a communist or a fascist and um, I think that's a really interesting um, thing for a game to wade into because most games shy away from right. real world politics so much. So, And you can sort of do it as like a reaction to what you're discovering mm-hmm. in the world around you since you're kind of this blank slate. And it's personally one thing I've, I find really, really interesting about it is that it all sort of builds up like you will get you know, points towards one of those ideologies in your dialogues. And then if you get enough points in one, some of your stats will pop up and say, hey, I think it's your rhetoric. It's like, hey, comrade, how about yeah. communism? Well, we haven't even talked about the thought cabinet a ton, I don't yep. think. We haven't even touched on it yet. Nope. Um, yeah, which so this is what you're you're kind of getting at, mm-hmm. Hillary, is when you make different dialogue choices, sometimes you'll get like a little, you know, one of your uh, attribute voices will come up and and say you know something like oh you're kind of going down this line or whatever and then you'll get an option to put so you can unlock these spots in the thought cabinet and then you can hang on to thoughts in there if you spend skill points to unlock them so you can get thoughts like uh you know they i forget what uh they have a the the founder of of communism in this university is called like Krasnazov, I think, right? Yeah, I I ran into his bust in some apartment building recently. That's what I know. So yeah. Yeah, And so you can take on like his economic theory or you can take on, um, so most players will interact with Measurehead, the Simonese supremacist uh, early on because he's guarding the the union docks. And uh, you can talk to him and then take on his race theory. That is one way to get past him early on in the game. Yes, yes. So you can take on all of these thoughts or ideologies. You can take on belief in the cryptids, like we were mentioning earlier. You can take on all kinds of different, um, you know, personality or um, ideology um, thoughts. And that also can interact with, you know, it may lower a certain stat or raise a certain stat, but then it has other 
uh, dialogue options and yeah. consequences. It's it's really neat the way it's built because um, there's like this process of internalizing the thought and each one kind of has a different duration and you get stat modifications while you're processing the thought. Mm-hmm. And then that might not necessarily be the same as when you've finished processing the mm-hmm. thought. Yeah, you they're usually negative like, when you're processing and then you might have some negative, but you'll at least have something positive by the end, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Usually. Um, <laughs> thoughts do come with like both like a, a positive and a negative. Like I think one, I think if you do subscribe to like the Mazovian socioeconomics, so like Marxism, mm-hmm. um, you get, if you choose left-wing dialogue options, they give you more XP, which will just allow you to like level up more. Uh, but you also just get straight up minus one to uh, visual calculus and minus one to authority. I guess the the logic uh-huh. there being that because communism was such a, a failed experiment in this world as it was in, in Europe during the Cold War, uh, that you just uh, have lost that kind of uh, authoritative power over well, the ideas. I think it's actually because communism is an anti-hierarchical uh, ideology. And so if you lose authority because you're you're not willing to enforce the hierarchy, hierarchy. yeah and, could... and then you're a cop right so right yeah, yeah. well and, and... It, it even like describes it as like minus one authority downtrodden in the communist so like uh, all of these mm-hmm. different like thought cabinet ones like the, it gives you like a lot of like flavor text to like yep. how that might influence the way that your character like is now based on like the different stat modifiers and also how to how to role play going forward based on <laughs> having internalized that thought. And they can come up in some of the most like unexpected places. Like I hope you all don't mind me telling a little story, but I was investigating the bookshop, which is another location that you'll find right around your crime scene. Um, and there's a patron outside. And for some reason you keep getting these dialogue options, insisting that she's missing something. <laughs> even. <laughs> Even I, hugged you, her, I hugged her for a really long time too. Yeah. So you can just like keep pestering her and he's, well, maybe your husband's missing. No, he's fine. He's at home. Well, maybe your cockatoo is missing and she'll finally like have enough with you and she'll be like, I think you're a cockatoo. And, and all of a sudden, you know, Harry's going like, what does this mean? I need to find my heraldic bird, <laughs> which was just really entertaining. So of course she says there's a book about cockatoos in the bookshop. If, if, you know, if Harry wants to understand what she means. So, of course, I immediately went in and uh, stole it in front of Kim because I didn't have any money. <laughs> that, yeah, and then you get to decide what kind of cockatoo yeah. you are. You know? I think I called myself the sorry cockatoo, I think. <laughs> um, I think I was the funerary cockatoo. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, uh, it's interesting, too, talking about, I think probably the politics of the game, I think probably we could talk more about in the second half and we get a little okay. bit more of a feel for where it goes. But I think... You know, as I'm playing the game, like I sort of, at least as a person who knows stuff about the game, like I'm aware that like the writers here are pretty left leaning, right? Um, Yes, they're yeah, they're communists. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so I'm like, I'm going to choose the communist options because that feels canon to me. Um, And then like sometimes as I'm having conversations, I'm like, I think I want the centrist response. And then like as a person who considers himself to be very left leaning, I'm like, am I maybe not as left leaning as I thought I was? (laughs) (laughs) And so it's actually making me like interrogate myself um, and really think about like, what would my response to these situations be? Um, I had the exact same thing happened to me in my first playthrough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which uh yeah, it's really like like powerful how much this game can kind of 
prompt almost like a self-reflective attitude for the player based on like how it frames like all these different like ideological forces all kind of coming together in this one like downtrodden world um but also just regarding the way that it, it keeps track of your um like different uh political uh modifiers or, or rather like uh political choices so like it's um yeah there, there's communism fascism ultra liberalism and um moralism mm -hmm. and importantly i think um this isn't something that you just choose at the beginning of the game for yourself nor is it something that you're even um aware is being counted the first time you play because you actually don't get to see um how many choices you've made regarding each of these four different political ideologies nope. until you discover until you find your ledger mm -hmm. um and and the trash uh near the dead body <laughs> yep um, uh, <laughs> yeah, another... such a good sequence too we'll talk more about it in a second yeah <laughs> yeah and so um yeah so you, you uh until you find your ledger uh you're not even aware that this is a thing that the game is keeping track of so you might just be you know making decisions uh kind of willy-nilly based on your role playing and then you're suddenly like oh wait this is uh this game is like very politically minded and wants me to be politically minded as the player, as I'm playing and making my, my different interactions with the game. And I think that's just such a neat trick that it's just not like you're looking through your dialogue tree and it's like in square brackets behind an option, it's like communist option um, <laughs> or something like that as a lot of uh, Western RPGs uh, will often do, but um, it kind of uh, lulls you into just like kind of like a, a natural sense of role playing and then introduces the di these different stats including like the kind of cop you're becoming you which cop a type you're cop a type yeah yeah which i think includes superstar cop boring cop sorry cop and apocalypse, apocalypse cop. cop which is a great one um but yeah it's it's great how that that's kind of introduced a bit into the game rather than just kind of thrown at you from the front i think that's a really neat role-playing trick uh, we didn't talk too much about the the cabinet of th th thoughts or whatever it's called, but like the one that I know I will never get rid of is Hobo Cop because I need Hobo Cop. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, with my um, stat distribution, I didn't get offered Hobo Cop this time around, so I'm not I'm not exactly sure why even, but it's just like yeah, with, with different stats, uh, you might not even like come across some of the the thoughts that you can then choose to internalize or not. I already hinted at this, but I'm going for Art Cop. <laughs> I, I just got Art Cop, so um, I know there's like a I've just I just got offered one because I'm a drunkard now too. Um, that I looked at the stats and like it raised like all my stats in Psyche by one. I'm like, all right. Um, so it's interesting the way that some of the um, some of those cabinets of thoughts like are much more powerful than others, but like you don't know. Um, you don't even know what the end result's going to be when you first take on nope. that thought. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's actually like an overall negative and, and one, maybe one very small criticism I have of this game is that I think some of the menus are confusing. Um, and like, I'm like, oh, it, it took me a long time to realize that like I had to use a level up to expand that, you know, like how many thoughts I could take the on space. At once. Yeah. 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 And that, that kind of frustrated me a little bit. Cause I want to kind of mix and match and experiment a little bit more. Um, but I can't because mm. <laughs> I'm like, I need, the, I need all my skill points. Yeah. And yeah. It, it costs so, you to get more space and it costs you to forget if, if right. there's one that you end up not liking. Yeah. I think if there's one consequence of the developers of this game kind of being a little bit um, kind of out, Outsiders to the industry is that there's really like no tutorialization or very little in the game and 
the game kind of just expects you to figure things out without a lot of direction and like that's one of its strengths but i think it definitely could <laughs> have used a little more uh explanation because there's a lot of mechanics that just like if you don't poke around in the menus or or experiment with the mm -hmm. items and interact with them and things you you would miss mm -hmm. tutorial and, why are you telling me that i can pass time on a bench but you're not explaining how to how to organize my own thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that in some ways you could argue that's part of the role playing experience, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know how to sit down on a bench, but you don't know how to organize your thoughts. That sounds like my Harry, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, there, there are so many different individual moments too. Like we haven't talked too much. It's kind of been implied here, but this game is also like probably the funniest video game I have ever mm -hmm. played. Um, I laugh aloud at least once every five minutes um, because <laughs> yeah, of something ridiculous funny. that I've chosen or something that I see or right. just like the intensity of all the dialogue options like that. Um, that racist guy who I, uh, you know, roundhouse kicked. I'm like, everything he says is so ridiculous that it's actually funny. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that it's such a weird and awesome blend of the absurd with the serious uh, and you can, and I love that you can just tell that like the developers were just like, you know what? I'm just going to make the game that I want to make. And I'm not going <laughs> to, and getting back to that idea of tutorials, like they're not going to hold hands and they're not going to hold hands on the ideas or mm -hmm. the lore or yeah. any of that. Yeah. Um, and it makes it, um, I think Roger Ebert once said that like, you know, if you want to make something of universal experience, people are going to enjoy, make it specific. And this game is so specific. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, is a real strength of it, even though there are things about it that frustrate me. Like I'm playing with a controller. I don't love the way you get oh. around with a controller. Like there are times, like even yeah, like walking into the, that's good. <laughs> into, the, into the union boss's office, like oh, there's dear. like stairs you could walk up. I'm like, I don't even see those oh, stairs. Oh yeah, that, that's visually not very clear. Yeah. Without, like just like kind of the simple mouse click that'll yeah. auto yeah. you. But yeah. that's also part of what they're trying to like getting to that idea of discovery. Like there's some kid who's smoking a cigarette like on top of a building outside of where the body was was hung mm -hmm. and I didn't even see him until like the end of the second day. Um, <laughs> so I, it, it allows me to feel like I'm constantly discovering things, but I will admit that like the look of this game as striking as it is. And I think it looks incredible. There's no game I've ever played. that looks anything like it sometimes frustrates me just sort of from like a, how do I get to interact with it sort of perspective? Yeah. I and mean, but to, to be fair, Zach, you didn't know that you could highlight the, well, I can't because I'm playing. I'm playing on a controller. There's got to be a button that'll give you the highlight. I can't imagine they would just highlight the you clickable things. Yeah, I mean, I can. I can scroll. I can obviously like scroll through them. I use like the right stick to do it. But you could tell that it's definitely a game that's meant to be played right. with mouse and keyboard. Yeah, it's sure. played yeah, almost. In, sure. It's played like entirely with the mouse on no, PC. I, so. I know where you're coming from because I. I mean, I'm using those that highlight option, you know, I, I almost consider it essential just so I know what's there mm -hmm. to interact with just because of, you know, it's very pretty, but just because of the, it looks like a real kind of slightly decrepit cluttered city. Yeah. I would have missed so much loose change lying on the ground <laughs> without the highlighting. Yeah. yeah there's, you know, there's no like Batman vision going on in this game. Every, every, anything that's interactable, it just like blends right into the background. Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> no, I think that it's a, uh... It's it's cool and it definitely like again immerses you in the role playing experience and maybe I'm just like spoiled um, as a person who just got done playing like a AAA RPG um, where like they made sure I could see everything and they were catering to my needs at every moment and this game isn't and I think it's cool uh, but I will admit that every once in a while like I turn the game on I'm like all right I really need to focus so I can see everything 
yeah, it's definitely a game that demands a lot of your attention um, and a lot. You you really have to focus on the the text and the you know the environment, and uh, I think that is you know one of its strengths. And I think most people will be so enraptured by it that it won't be a problem. But um, you don't want to listen to a podcast or <laughs> do anything else while playing the game for right. sure. Yeah, when I uh, played this game. Uh the same time i was playing like a couple other games they usually do i wouldn't sit down and play this game when i wanted to play a video game i sat down and play this game when i was like in the mood to like read a book yes mm-hmm. yes and the like, writing in the game is super novelistic too i think so yeah it, it gives you the same feeling as when you read in a book 100 percent so um I guess before we, because I know we've 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 barely touched on everything we could here, but I I don't want to go into every single incident here. But I do before we go want to talk about at least like one dialogue interaction or one conversation you had during the first two days in this game that you thought was amazing that we haven't talked about yet. So whoever wants to give it a shot first, go ahead. Oh, I, I've got one. So um, when you first meet with Kim. And then he will tell you that he has tools in his car and you can go out to his car. And then if you, you know, you've told him that you, you don't remember who you are, you don't remember what's going on. So he's like, well, you can use my radio to call the station. (laughs) And so (laughs) when you call the station, you get, you know, you get the operator, they bring you, patch you through. And then of course the station is full with all of your coworkers. And so at this point, you know, we determine, okay, Harry is kind of a up. Yeah, Harry, Harry, you know, is he's not very good at his job. He has a reputation. So all of the officers at your precinct are then chiming in and making fun of you and uh, ask. They're like, oh, ask him, ask him if he still has his gun. And then the guy will ask you, do you still have your gun? And you're like, wait, do I still have my gun? <laughs> and it's just so funny. Um, just them making fun of you, and it's clear that like this is not the first time you've gone into a place and then mm-hmm. found yourself weighing over your head. Right? They're they're sarcastically know. calling you Dick Mullen, which is the name of like some pulp detective in the in the Disco Elysium, world. like Dick Tracy or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just so funny. It's just such a a, a good window into like the the culture <laughs> of his precinct mm-hmm. and his reputation with his coworkers. Um, it, it's hilarious. Yeah. I also died there. Um, cause I, <laughs> cause I started asking if they could give me information about my real name and like, they're like, and I think it's your inland empire is like, wait a second, don't do this. You're going to really embarrass yourself. And I'm like, no, I'm going for it. <laughs> um, and like my morale was very low cause I just started, like my volition was maybe at one. Right. And so I died very quickly there. <laughs> <laughs> you also could like make a phone call to a woman who I don't know very well yet. Sylvie. Yep. Who uh-huh. you clearly have been very rude to previously. <laughs> yeah, she um, was the woman who worked, uh, attended bar at the yes. um, hostel and cafeteria where you're staying. Um, so she witnessed your entire like three day rager. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. waved your gun at her. It, w- it was bad. Yeah, you did all kinds oh, of crazy yeah. stuff. Oh, and there's yeah. so, m- oh my God, you, you go around talking to people and the- people start bringing up you like putting your gun in your mouth and saying you're going to kill yourself all the time. <laughs> Turns like- out you actually yeah. can do that in a certain interaction in this game too, um, which I did as well, unfortunately. <laughs> I've died so many times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think this time around, one of my favorite interactions that I can think of is just like a, it was a very quaint one, uh, but it was, it was a very good time. It was shortly after 
I uh, my got I got my first hit of that uh, anti radiation stuff and had that that little nice little interaction with Kim. But uh, just kind of south of there, uh, there's the water lock, which is um, locked up during the the first two days. And uh, there's just a guy standing there, and his friend is on the other side, uh, and they're just kind of like waiting for the water lock to come down so that they can uh, reunite with each other. But um, He's got like some salami, and it's apparently like his friends from the other side salami, and um, you can decide to ask for some salami, uh, and it says like the other the friend on the other side like looks very upset about this whole situation, and uh, you end up getting some salami, and then you can also uh, suggest that Kim has some salami, and then you just kind of have like this little moment where the you and Kim and then this other guy are just sitting there eating salami together, <laughs> yeah, and that was just like. That's like the kind of interaction only this game will have that just uh-huh. was like uh you know it wasn't like a particularly like a meaningful moment but it was just like added a lot of lot of flavor like the most flavor to the experience that mm-hmm. uh, is just Literally. part of what makes this game so special. It's funny cuz I I did that as well and I was surprised Kim took the salami cuz usually exactly. it's just me like too. no me I'm too. not doing anything that you want me to do and I'm like oh Thanks for taking my salami, Kim. Yeah, um, so yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. And so like it gets to that. I, I, this game surprises me constantly. And even in like a small moment like that, the game surprised me. Uh, I can sort of build off of that because I had a really, really touching moment with Kim. Um, after I had just actually wait, is that the third day? I had just opened the water lock. Uh, go ahead. It's fine. Okay. So this is like probably begin- very beginning of the third day. So jumping a little head, but not very much. Um, so as soon as you cross, you see uh, what you very quickly determine is a half-submerged police vehicle uh, <laughs> on the other side of the water lock. <laughs> and you can choose to wait um, so that you can get information and, you know, basically, you know, from the player's perspective, confirm that it's yours that you crashed and don't remember. Um, but there's this very sweet interaction where you're waiting and you can pass a check to whistle a tune. And it, oh, geez, I forget it, what stat it is. But it's one I wasn't particularly good at, but I passed the check. And then, you know, Harry was just kind of whistling, passing the time, and Kim joined in. And it was just very sweet. Mm. And so you were just like whistling together. And then a few minutes later, after confirming, like, yep, this is Harry's car, found my badge, you go through a bunch of dialogue options, you know, kind of processing the situation with Kim and saying, like, I don't think I'm going to come back from this. Like, this is, you know, months and months worth of money for the precinct. And like, and one of the things that Kim actually potentially says to cheer you up is that you can still whistle. It was just so wholesome. Yeah, I didn't get that uh, tree, and I like that a lot. Beautiful. Yeah. Maybe it's time to sober up, Zach. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. do that. I I am definitely leaning into the like reforming Harry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to stay on the straight and narrow. I think it's fair. Just yeah. to give like a, a fun little anecdote that that wasn't my gameplay experience, but was uh, of a friend of mine. Um. He took the role playing in this game very seriously, and he started off as kind of like a degenerate version of Harry, 
um, and doing all the drugs, doing all the drinking. And as he was doing that, he was he was kind of like method acting. He was doing it in real life as well. Every time he uh, <laughs> took a drink as Harry, you'd take a drink oh, no. himself. Oh, Every time Harry took a hit of some drug, he would take a hit of some drug. And uh, he ended up just like kind of rolling with that. And that all kind of like fueled the different decisions he made. And then uh, at one point in the game, uh, you do get a thought uh, come in, like uh, one of the thought cabinet kind of insertions um, that proposes that you sober up. And um, he ended up taking it. And then he also ended up uh, not doing any more, just stayed sober for the rest of his playthrough. And uh, he just described that as like a very kind of profound uh, role-playing experience with this game that uh, I think is just a, a great way to, to sum up what makes this game so special, the different ways that players will make their own kind of journey out of it. Uh, and may maybe not to that level, but um, <laughs> that's just kind of the most extreme example. But uh, That is a wild story. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, a, a touching story, really. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I've I, never done that before. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's amazing. That's really cool. Mm. Man, now I'm going to try to talk about my moment, but it's not even going to touch what you just said. Uh, <laughs> that's really cool. I was going to choose uh, the phone the phone conversation. Uh, you know, honestly, um, one of the things that I think we haven't really touched on too much is like sort of this weirdness of like the supernatural. Yes. Sort of like yeah. running through this game. The pale. Yeah, the yeah, pale, the pale yeah. which I've learned a little bit about, but. It's like their version of climate change, basically. Oh, I didn't yeah. even know that or think about that. That's yeah. very interesting. Um, I, uh, outside of one of those apartment buildings, you can make a phone call up to, um, and like all of them are out. And the only like way that you can get connected is to like this old recording of this woman who's like sort of haunted by something that has happened or like there's a man who she like wants to get out of her life. You guys familiar with what I'm talking about here? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and it, I guess for me, like it struck me in the different, the different sort of things this game is doing and like the level of absurdity it's going to, but also like it genuinely creeped me out. Mm -hmm. And like even the second time through, because you can listen to it again and sort of figure out what's really going on with it. You have to pass a volition check to be able to do that, though. Yeah. You have yeah, to steal which I yourself. Did, I guess. <laughs> um, and it uh, it really genuinely creeped me out. And it, it I, I think, got to this notion of the different modes this game can work in, um, which is maybe the thing that surprised me most in my playthrough. Like I sort of knew that it was going to be like a pro worker sort of game. I, I was aware of that. But. It was it's it's the variety of tones and styles and the different sorts of ways it presents itself and the ways you can interact with it that have struck me um, and made me realize that, you know, maybe this game is not overhyped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it goes to some really dark places, too, um, you know, with it. It's realistic. You know, I think that's. Mm -hmm. As fantastical and, and absurd as a game could be, sometimes it's also very realistic, and the game's not afraid to shy away from from real problems or or yeah. real instances. So there's one, um, you know, you can find more out about the the person who's been murdered, and I don't want to get too much into that. But there's one particular story that you can can learn about his backstory and the backstory of the group that he's working with that's very chilling and dark and and horrible, and um, you know, most something that most games don't really go into or deal with, um, and it's able to really handle that kind of sensitive subject matter very well. 
um, in a way that I think is pretty impressive um, compared to a lot of games that kind of use that stuff for shock value. Right. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me like when you dig in the trash and you find your old notes and you start reading through and reading through some notes um, of what has happened in your past and you literally pass out. Um, and it's not obviously getting to that dark of a place, but like the, the, the notion that like clearly Harry is disturbed deeply by something and it gets to like that idea of like a PTSD reaction to it or whatever, whatever it is that he's dealing with, um, which I don't know yet because I haven't gotten far enough. I've gotten this notion that some woman left him, but um, I thought that moment was really striking too because I had no idea what was happening in the same way that he wouldn't know what was happening. Um, and you wake up in Kim's car. Um, I thought that was very cool too. Yeah. And on that note, um, the game kind of like leans into that kind of supernatural aspect a lot with every every time you go to sleep basically and mm-hmm. you end up having a, mm-hmm. a dream as harry that uh i mean the first night it's um i'm not sure if you actually have to have done the uh full study of the body but after you have successfully done that uh, at least um you end up having a dream where you're kind of just like outside of the motel and like everything's kind of like weirdly distorted and you walk up to where the body is and ends up being uh harry himself that's mm-hmm. like hanging and you end up having mm-hmm. this like kind of like dark cryptic interaction uh between harry and like this this version of himself that's like hanging from the tree and it uh yeah i mean that like we can get a lot more into the specifics of this character's story but um yeah i love all the ways that uh the game kind of gets deep into like its supernatural dreams during those dream sequences yeah i'm just continually impressed and surprised at just the range of like moods and reactions it's able to evoke for me like i don't think i've i've simultaneously laughed gasped and groaned at a single game like all at once before like i don't know it's it's impressive i'm very invested and the fact that the narrator is able to convey all of those different feelings so well by using the exact same dry delivery right uh, regardless of what's written remarkable uh it's H- just however incredible. much he got paid it's not enough yeah <laughs> honestly I, I think it's the best voice acting performance in a video game ever the narrator i i think it's just incredible yeah it's very good um well i am looking forward to finding out more about the specifics of what happened to harry and what happened um in this town and really getting and digging into the politics of this game um, in the next one. Um, Cause I know that um, a lot of us here are interested in talking about that, uh, but I want to know more before I really dig in. Cause I can't really uh, come to an informed opinion yet. It, it's I, I like, as Ben was saying earlier, this idea that people can latch on, like people of various ideologies can latch onto things here. Um, and I think that's the strength of the game too, especially given that I think it really does have a specific event to it. Um, so, um, speaking of that, uh, let's talk about what's coming up next. Um, so next in two weeks, you will hear, uh, another podcast, uh, about the second half of Disco Elysium, uh, which like I said, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about. Um, and then after that, uh, will be the end of my time as, uh, sort of the caretaker of Retro Encounter, um, and Mike Solosi, uh, around the beginning of September is going to be returning, um, to uh, be the host. He's planning to go back to a weekly schedule, um, kind of back to retro as normal. Um, I'm not, I know he has some ideas about what he's going to do. I know. I think the first one when he comes back is going to be about um, edutainment games, which is like educational games, oh, um, which uh, <laughs> I really hated as a kid, but I'm excited to listen to it. <laughs> uh, maybe they'll change my mind on that. Um, but then after that, um, we have some other ideas. I think there's going to be maybe a 16 spoiler cast um, and some other things related to that. 
If you want to get in touch with us, uh, give us ideas about things that we can do going forward, you can email us retro at rpgfan.com. You can also follow RPG Fan on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, we're also, I think we have a Threads account, you know, wherever. Once Twitter finally fully and completely implodes, we've created accounts in other places. So don't worry, you'll still be able to find us. We also have a Discord, um, a YouTube, and we also have a Twitch stream almost every day. Uh, there's also an RPG fan shop. I actually think at the time of recording this, there might be a sale. I don't know. Um, but you can find uh, a link to the shop online if you wanted to support us, rep us with some RPG fan merch. Um, I've got mugs. I've got T-shirts. You should get some. We also have two other fine podcasts. Uh, Random Encounter, usually hosted by John O'Logan, and uh, usually about current events and uh, most recently published things on the site. And we also have Rhythm Encounter, which is about RPG fan music, um, usually hosted by Mike Salvato, but often hosted also by Hillary. Um, you can also review us or any other of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever. We love feedback, especially the five-star variety. Um, but before we sign off, I want to make sure people know how to get in touch with each of us. And I actually don't think that a lot of us have much of a social media presence, which means we're the smart ones. Um, but Hillary, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, I would say the, the best way to get in touch with me is email. And that's hillaryA at RPGfan.com. Awesome. And Alex? can email me at alexfranicek at gmail.com. And Ben. Yeah, you can email me at benloganlove at gmail.com. Perfect. And if you want to get in touch with me, uh, you can also email me, uh, zachw at rpgfan.com. Um, or you can also find me on our Discord as zachw. And uh, thanks so much for recording this with me, comrades. Um, I had a blast. I'm really looking forward to seeing where this game goes, um, especially given that a lot of you have talked about... Um, how uh, excellent the ending is and I said my partner is one of her favorite games of all time and I really have enjoyed playing it um, and also playing it to annoy her which is very fun um, so thank you also listeners uh, good night and good luck good night